Season three, episode three. Double three, lucky number for some. It's a magic number, I've heard. <laughs> Good old Dilla Soul. Well, let's hope this is a magic show. Yes. It, it's not a magic show. It's not a magic show, show no. Unless, uh, at home, pick a card, any card. It wasn't that one. Oh. Nah. nah I'm going to have to give up my magic career. <laughs> Got it. Speaking of magic, gin's alive and well, isn't it? <laughs> Do, do love a bit of gin, don't we? Yes. That's the whole point of this show. And I tell you what, we went to a very special place this week, didn't we? We yes. went to the bathtub sessions in Newcastle. It came into Newcastle at uh, the Wyland Brewery, which was incredible. And we went in to meet our very good friend Luke Smith from uh, Mason's Distillery, mm. formerly Poetic License, now on to Mason's. Yeah. And it was the first time we've properly tried the Mason's gin. And oh, my word. What a treat. Oh, I've got a new love in my life. Yes, it is beautiful stuff. Yeah, um, it was really interesting because I was I said to Luke, God, that's really cardamomy. And he said, well, not really. That's fennel that you're tasting. Now, I don't like fennel in cooking. Mm. I find it quite licorice which yeah. I'm not a massive fan of. Yeah. But, I think there's only four people in the world that like licorice and yeah. all of them are 112. Your nan, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I absolutely loved it. The fennel gives it something incredibly special yeah. and yet it doesn't taste like, like fennel, fennel does yeah. when, when you're cooking it. So I had that. You had a Mason's, was it the grapefruit one? Grapefruit and orange had? one, that was nice. That was yeah. absolutely beautiful. That was very dry, wasn't it? You'd think it would be yeah, quite that's um, thing, um, sweet, yeah. but, it, but it wasn't. Yeah, sick of the sticky and syrupy yeah. uh, bed. Gin liqueurs. Yeah, uh, that one's that one's a genuine genuine gin. It's uh, it's dry as sticks. It's yeah, beautiful. it's beautiful. He's a talented lad and uh, a very generous lad. He uh, he got us in there and uh, we went and visited. So we're forever grateful for that. Yeah, Mace- Mason's had a terrible uh, fire. A couple of months ago, didn't they? Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. He showed us the pictures. It was devastating. Absolute. It was like it was something out of a film. It was just one of those. A things. film where a distillery exploded. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it was just one of those things that 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 just happens when you're dealing with highly flammable yeah. liquid. Right. He showed yeah. us his jacket. It's like you know when you put those crisp packets in the oven yeah. and the shrink is is his laptop and his jacket were like that's just this tiny little, little pile. Full of ash. <laughs> but um, it was it was a, a really sad thing to happen, but. The gin community being what it is, they all pull together and... Um, yep, they're back on track. They've got a new premises and they're going to start doing gin classes soon, yes. which I will definitely yes. go and take part in. Can't wait. Looking forward to that. Yeah, so that was really good fun. While we were there, we also caught up with Sophie, who's the brand ambassador for Heppel. Yes. And she did a brilliant masterclass. I was going to call her Sophie Heppel because that's what she's yeah. in for now. <laughs> Sophie Heppel. Yeah. <laughs> but she did do a brilliant masterclass uh, teaching us all about... like. How they got the ingredients yeah. for Hepler and our uh, oh, gin's just absolutely delightful. We're going to talk more about that probably next time yes, on the show. Absolutely. But she gave an excellent performance, yes. and um, we also tried the slow gin. Oh, Heppel slow! Heppel slow My is <laughs> delightful. Word. Yes, had that with a lemon tonic as well. Yes. that was that was a treat. It's the best slow gin I've ever had, yeah, apart that... from my mum's homemade slow gin, of course. Yeah, okay, it's the best one I've ever had. <laughs> I'm not scared of my mum. Right. <laughs> um, so this slow gin, it's it's very strong on the juniper, but it also has hawthorn in it yeah. from the Heppel Estate up in Northumberland. And the way that the hawthorn mixes with the slows, which I believe is blackthorn, makes for this really spicy gin, which neat is very wintry and Christmassy. Mm-hmm. But once you add the lemony citrus tonic, becomes a beautiful summer drink. Oh, it was it was it was a delight that I mm. really enjoyed it. Yeah. So that's what we did. Uh, 
that's what we did at uh, the bathtub sessions. And that's why we're coming out on Sunday this week, because yes. we were there uh, for a long time yesterday. And I am struggling. Yes, you're not feeling too good today, no, are you, Matthew? struggling, struggling, struggling. Peaky, peaky. Yes, peaky drinker. Yeah. <laughs> so, coming up today, we've got some weird science. Weird science. Yeah. We're going to be talking all about some of the weirder scientific things that go into gin making, gin drinking. And association with gin indeed. Yes. Yes. And also we are... Making our own... Oh, yes. Mother's Ruins Marvellous Medicine. Medicine. Yep. In the spirit of Roald Dahl. Uh, I mean, it was nothing to do with it him. It was nothing to do with it was him. Science, but eventually it, yeah. it worked. Too. Yeah, we made our own medicinal tinctures, didn't we? Yes, Matthew? we did. Tinctures is our favourite word. Yeah, moment, I think we chose each other some ingredients and a gin, and we mixed them all together and made a medicinal alcoholic beverage, which you will hear more about later. Yes, of can't. course, all the latest gin news as well. Gin news. Yes, uh, it's it's a jam-packed episode, so let's let's jump straight in. Now, all about the weird science behind gin. Yes. Is it all bubbling test tubes and explosions leaving your face all black and your hair all sticking up like that? It is, yeah. We've got our Brilliant. lab coats on this week because we have entitled this episode Weird Science. Nothing to do with the 80s film starring Kelly LeBrock. Kelly LeBrock. Which is an amazing film. It is. But it is going to have some interesting facts. Or all about you. the scientific mm. elements of the gin. Yeah, so... It's, um, the way we're going to structure this is in the form of a game. Yes. Matthew, I am going to ask you to spin the science wheel. The science wheel? Yes, and we're going to... As soon as nothing has been invented better since the wheel. No. And we're going to um, pick our subjects based on what you This law's been on. invented best since the wheel, hasn't it? That's absolute lies, isn't I it? suppose so, yeah. I, 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 sliced vaccines. bread. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sliced bread, that was another one that overtook. What's so good about sliced bread? I don't know. I like tearing it a bit. Yeah. Tear and share, that's yeah. what I say. Yeah. So anyone uh, anyone that actually comes up with these things, you're an idiot. Yeah. Right. Right. So, Matthew, I'm going to ask you to spin the science wheel. Let's spin the science wheel. And pick a subject. Are you ready to spin? Here we go. It's oh. Oh. a bit rubbish, this oh. wheel. <laughs> But slow. Here we go. And we have got... Air. Air. Not the uh, flimsy French band that just makes all hoity-toity music, which I quite enjoy. I like a bit of air. Sexy boy. One of the only songs my son danced to in the womb. Um, Classic read. Yep. Right, air. So what we're going to talk about to do with air is what effect air has on an opened bottle of gin. Does air cause gin to spoil? Well, that's why I drink it so quickly. Yeah. Not because I've got a problem. Well, we have got a few uh, open bottles of gin in the cabinet and we tend to just loosely pop them open and say, oh, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll drink, we'll have a new, we'll open a new one today. Yeah. And actually, having read into this a bit more deeply, I found that that's probably not the best idea. Now, because gin is a spirit, it's not as susceptible to bacteria as many non-alcoholic liquids would mm-hmm. be. But you will notice after a while a reduction in quality and a change to the taste 
of gin once it's been opened. So what is the process by which gin goes off? Any thoughts? Um, I don't know. Like, I mean, stuff gets into it, doesn't it? Contamination? Yes, contamination. That would be my number one mm-hmm. uh, theory on why gin goes off. See, mine would have always been evaporation. That you ghosts. know, the, Or ghosts. Could That's a good haunted. one. Yeah, could get haunted. You don't want a haunted gin. No. No. Um, but I, would, I was, would have thought it would be evaporation because alcohol being quite volatile. Yeah. Liquid is easy to evaporate, but then it's in a closed bottle, so where would it go? Anyway, I looked into this, and the actual process by which gin goes off is oxidation, which is exactly the same process as rust. They get rusty gin. You get, essentially, your gin goes rusty. Ugh. Yeah. So, the way it works is that... So, oxidation is a chemical reaction that involves the moving of electrons. So, the substance, or the gin in this case, gives away its electrons mm. when it reacts with oxygen. Just very as, generous of it. It is very nice. It's, mm-hmm. just, it's like gin. Yeah. And uh, just as metal gives away its electrons and starts to degrade and becomes rusty... Mm when it meets the air. Now, our friends at Lone Wolf Gin... We, Lone Wolf Gin! We do love a bit of Lone yes, Wolf Gin. Yes, it's very good gin. They ran some experiments to find out what factors increase the rate at which gin spoils. And they found that, firstly, temperature does play a part. Mm. So, um, so, you want to keep them cold, or...? Yes, you want to keep them cold. Ah. Yeah. So actually, keeping your open bottles of gin in the fridge is not too bad an idea, particularly in the summer or if you live in a warmer climate. I see. Yeah. So they did find that exposing gin to 40 degree temperatures centigrade did cause an impact, a degradation of the flavour. But the movement of air was by far the biggest factor. So... They left several bottles of gin at various levels of, of fill, so three quarters full, a half full and a quarter full for three months and opened them once a week to mimic taking a weekly tipple of gin. After just one month, nearly half of the intended flavour compounds in a three quarters bottle of gin had dissipated, but in bottles where half or more was drunk, um, that figure rose to almost two thirds. Really? And that was because there was more air inside the bottle. They also found that the use of speed pourers, which are popular among bartenders, increased oxidisation levels too. Well, I imagine it would, because it's like metal as well, isn't it? I suppose like that would be oxidising itself. Yeah, and I wonder whether it's because, you know, when you use speed pour, it, it may be... Um, Forces bubbles, I don't know, yeah. in, in th- to disperse through the gin. Perhaps. I don't know. They didn't explain that in great detail, but they did found that the oxidize, oxidation level could be up to 98.3% in just one week if you use a speed pourer. Mm, well, if they're in bars, they'll probably get through a bottle of night, though, wouldn't they? It wouldn't, wouldn't be like us worrying where we get up through one in like two nights. They did actually look into this. Yeah. Bottle of house gin, uh, maybe a day or two. You get mm-hmm. through it. But uh, back shelf gin would be more like, you know, a week or a yeah. couple of weeks. So actually, over the course of a couple of weeks, you would have a certain degradation in, in flavour. Depends if I work. Uh, I think I've managed to get through nearly a bottle of Monkey 47 at I, the Comedy Club this well, week. Well, the Continental didn't see you come in when you visited no, they the didn't. weeks ago, did they? No. You were up that ladder, yeah. scouring the shelves. So the temperature had... And that 40 degrees Celsius exposure to temperature we talked about um, had only half as much impact on the flavour as oxidation. I see. And another factor was exposure to UV light. Uh, Again, that only had half, again, as much impact as the heat. So that was the the least important factor, but Mm. still a factor. So Mm. there you go. 
their advice share your gin with your pals so it's not hanging around for months keep it in the fridge to keep it cool and avoid too much exposure to uv light uh, but what if i want to drink it on my own in the own uv disco then just drink it really quickly oh god yeah so many things yeah now on the subject of uv light uh if you were drinking it alone in a disco with tonic under UV go, light, yeah. it would glow beautifully. It does glow beautifully, that's, that because, is correct. Uh, bonus science fact. Why? Quinine. Which glows under UV light. Yeah. Gin fact. Right, spin the wheel. Right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Always got to wait for the wheel to settle. What we got there? Yeast. Yeast. Oh, I got some lovely facts about yeast for oh, you, Matthew. I've been dying to hear about yeast. <laughs> now, why yeast? Well, yeast is an important part of the spirit-making process. Before you did begin distilling the gin, you mm-hmm. first uh, ferment the grain with sugar and yeast. Mm-hmm. So we know that it's it's used often in, in beer-making and wine-making, mm-hmm. but... Not everyone may know that it's also used in the production of spirits. Now, I I want to talk about yeast because I've been reading all about this in the book Proof, The Science of Booze by Adam Rogers, which is a really interesting book. And he he can't talk enough about the wonders of yeast. God, I bet the hours fly by in his house. (laughs) Well, bear with me because this is quite interesting. So the role of yeast, he said, is nothing short of miraculous. Yeast is a single cell organism that's evolved from multi-cell organisms. Now, how weird is that? Yeast has effectively... Intelligent animals. Yeah, but it's effectively (laughs) de-evolved from multi-cell organisms to just the one. It's simplified itself. Mm. I quite like that idea. It's what he describes as a naturally occurring nanotechnological machine that converts sugar to the alcohol we drink. He also said it breeds pretty much everywhere and is one of the organisms on which scientists have built much of our knowledge on how life works. Sounds like Geordies. (laughs) Well, breed pretty much everywhere. Breed everywhere and (laughs) scientists look at them and know how life works. (laughs) How how they survived that. Throat note? Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> How do they survive these temperatures without coats? <laughs> Hardy folk, you know these yeah. things. Um, so, Rogers goes on to point out that we became dependent on yeast without even knowing it was there. So, Aristotle studied why liquids would become alcoholic without any intervention, theorising that it was something to do with what he called vis viva, a life force that helps living things achieve their reason for being. <laughs> so, he assumed water's reason for being yeah. was to be booze. To be booze. <laughs> Yeah. That's amazing. And then when it turned to vinegar, that was its death. Oh, I yeah. like that. The fact or that grape that, juice. I love the fact that uh, he thinks that uh, it's got like it's like Pokemon in it. Evolution. Yeah. <laughs> got water, water to wine. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So he thought, yeah, the liquid wanted to ferment, and although he didn't know it, yeast was this agent of change. Mm. Now, this is interesting. Yeast actually shares a common ancestor with, guess what? Cauliflowers. <laughs> it's actually you, Matthew. You share a common ancestor with yeast. I'm all yeasty. Yeah. Humans and yeast have eventually just... Uh, were, were once one and the same. They just took slightly <laughs> different evolutionary paths. Christ, that one... <laughs> That was a lazy old one. <laughs> yeah. Will I be a human or yeast? Well, you stay lazy, but God, yeast's achieved more in its lifetime than I have. Oh, man, so 
one now. <laughs> well, according to NPR magazine, and I love this, if you open a little packet of baker's yeast from the supermarket, peer inside and you'll see your distant cousin. <laughs> <laughs> what? Heather. I've got, I've got a few second cousins that are a bit Heather. yeasty. <laughs> Hi, Heather. <laughs> oh, no, no, she's on a keto diet. She'll go mental if oh, she's she in yeast. Oh, she would, yeah. Don't if I use her in bread, that. there'll yeah. be hell on. <laughs> Carbs, no! Yeah. <laughs> now, to explore more about the human and yeast connection, biologist Edward Marcotte tried disabling several genes in yeast and replacing them with the human version to see if yeast would survive. And sure enough, it did. Jurassic loaf. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bread with now taken out. <laughs> <laughs> Terrifying. Yeah. Um, oh, so trying to think of dinosaur Bread. yeast. Bread, puns. it finds a way. <laughs> 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 now, um, this is because the genes we share with yeast do similar jobs in us as they do in the fungus. For example, researchers looked at all the genes involved in manufacturing cholesterol, which cells need to keep their shape. Almost all the human genes for that job worked perfectly in yeast. Final Terrifying, isn't it? I know. In a weird. Final fact about yeast, the English word yeast comes from the Dutch gist from the Greek word for boiling. So getting the gist of something is literally boiling it down. Excellent word. Yes. Word uh, association. There. I love a bit of etymology. Oh, there we go. Mm. I wonder where that word came from. <laughs> <laughs> yeast, probably. <laughs> right. Okay, spin, spin, spin the wheel of gin science. That was oh. Off it goes. Where it stops. I now know. Smell. Smell. Let's talk about smell. smell. Let's talk about smell, smell baby. baby. <laughs> now, Matthew, I've been listening back to previous episodes of this podcast. Why wouldn't you? The brilliant. I know, because I love the sound of my own voice. I don't. I absolutely hate it. She does. She's very arrogant. <laughs> but one thing I've noticed is that despite the fact that you're a very, very good taster and Thank you very much. you've got a great sense of smell and sense of taste you usually identify only up to about four scents or flavors at one time in a gin don't find that true at all well don't before you before you knock it this is nonsense why are you why are you dissing us well i looked into why this might be the case and apparently in 1998, a couple of Australian researchers, Andrew Livermore and David Lang, suggested that even if people could identify the smells of complex things like coffee Can. within a couple of seconds, Instantly. they wouldn't be able to identify all of the hundreds of components of those same scents. So they theorised that ah. we have a very limited ability to process multiple scents at one time. So that would be like a dog would have like... Ten times better for yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think dogs like having dogs got. But you think, uh, you think with dogs like if they've got that much of a better sense of smell and they just stick the freaking stupid faces into dead animals all yeah. the time, you'd think they'd be going. Yeah, I know. It's weird, isn't it? Dogs are idiots. They, they, they are. They're wonderful idiots. Wonderful idiots. Yeah. Um. So, to test out their theory that humans had limited ability to sense multiple smells at the same time, mm -hmm. the two scientists set up a device called an olfactometer that could puff vapour from anywhere from <laughs> one to eight samples of smell. Yeah. It sounds like great fun, doesn't it? Boop, boop, boop. <laughs> like tubular bells. Yeah. Different colours as well. Yeah. Like, um, now, they chose smoky. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Strawberry, lavender, kerosene, rose, honey, cheese, and chocolate, listing them all on a computer screen. Sounds like a, sounds like a, a Hugh Fairley Witten store ice cream flavour. <laughs> <laughs> Smoky strawberry, lavender, kerosene, rose, honey, cheese, chocolate. Or a yeah, a weird version <laughs> of Snow White. Yeah. Um, Volunteers had to sniff the air to say what they were smelling. Now, with between one and four components, subjects subjects confidently and quickly identified the smells. But if the mixture had more components, they slowed way down and their accuracy rating dropped to nothing. Now, I'm quoting here. This is again from the book Proof, The Signs of Booze by Adam Rogers. Fascinating book. I've only used it for a couple of these, but uh, I would highly recommend giving it a read because it's really interesting. So... This proved to some extent that when you add too many flavours in the mix, Mm -hmm. too many scents into the mix, we stop being able to process them all. So it's like that thing, you know, where people say if you you add more than two sugars into coffee, it's just there's only so much sugar you can taste. Mm. Yeah, that could be the a bit, could, bit same type of thing. It's similar, it? but that would be like be excessive more of the of same. Flavor, yeah. Whereas this is about kind of multiple, like different different flavors. So after four different, they they concluded that after four different smells, the human brain chunks them all together, and that the gestalt aroma becomes the identifying smell for a given object. So you will essentially have a new smell. You'll smell one thing that's a new thing that's mm-hmm. a combination of all these different things. I wonder what my smell is. <laughs> your scent, your aroma. Yeah. So it'll be beard Probably oil, gin, gin. Yeah. Um. So. And sweat. Today it's very hot today. I'm yeah. not saying you do smell sweat. Wow. You don't. You don't. Sorry about this. I don't mean to argue online. Um, excuse, the, um, <laughs> excuse the excuse uh, the siren going past. Yes, we do live in a troubled world. It is a very hot day, and we've got the windows open. Right, yes. so we might have to pause occasionally for the five <laughs> o. Um. Okay. There you go. That smell done. Spin, spin, spin. we got poison right poison now we're going to talk about a specific poison today what kind of poison we're going to talk about methanol this is why they say what's your poison uh probably not so it's a good question that you raise there what's your poison because ethanol is technically in large doses a poison Mm -hmm. as you know alcohol poisoning can make you very sick or kill you yes i do know that (laughs) yeah but the difference between ethanol and methanol is that methanol in very small doses can kill you Uh now we've considered matthew haven't we making our own home brewed home distilled gin great make our own spirit right from the bottom up and then move along and carry on yeah but we then we found out that it was highly illegal illegal. so we did it secret no we didn't do it at all Um, listening, we definitely didn't. We didn't, no. Uh, But in case we needed any further persuading, did you know that home distillation can leave you with a product that does contain dangerous levels of methanol? Uh oh. Mm, So, any of you considering distilling your own product at home, just be very aware. Methanol is a deadly poison, and yet you can't see, smell, or taste it. Mm. So you wouldn't be able to, you wouldn't know that you were taste, you were drinking a tainted gin. God knows who's listening to this one. Mm, carry on. Well, <laughs> how do we make this? We'll come to that in a minute. Ooh. But methanol is very closely related to ethanol, the mm-hmm. kind of alcohol you find in the gin 
that we drink. Methanol forms in very tiny amounts during fermentation naturally, but not enough to cause us health problems. Now, the danger arises is when we uh, distill the fermented liquid, which further concentrates the levels of methanol. Uh, commercial distillers have access to technologies that separate the methanol from the ethanol, but without access to such equipment, it's very easy to enter the danger zone, so Whoa. to speak. Yeah. So join Top Gun. Mm. Is there a highway to get there? There is a highway to get there. There is a highway to get and there. And it's called there? distilling gin in your bathtub. <laughs> Now, you mentioned that, oh, you know, could people cotton on to the idea of uh, mm-hmm. of the fact that you can't smell or taste methanol? And unfortunately, and this is where things get a little bit sad, really, um, people have caught on to the fact. Recently, uh, a British backpacker named Chesney Emmons died in 2013 after drinking gin, which had been mixed with methanol. She bought it from a shop in a sealed bottle in Indonesia. Um, the bottle was sporting a familiar brand and um, looked fairly above board. Bootlegged, uh, but it was bootlegged, yeah, uh, yeah. And while the practice is commonplace worldwide, Indonesia has recently been linked to a number of deaths and serious in- illnesses um, among both locals and foreign travellers who purchase what they think is commercially produced gin and other spirits, but which can contain, and get this, up to 44 thousand times the safe levels of methanol good god Mm. um do you remember when we talked about the drinker's vernacular and we talked about the fact that gin had lots of nicknames and that had the word blue in there yeah yeah yeah. is that one of the and that's because methanol poisoning can turn you blue so it could turn your lips blue and give you this kind of um i remember that bit yeah yeah and um this is because during the gin craze and during american prohibition cases of methanol poisoning were very high as bootleggers didn't know or perhaps didn't care that they were selling lethal lethal poison and the the way it works is that uh, methanol is converted in the body to formic acids that's the same toxin that you find in ant bites Uh, and it builds up in the blood and causes symptoms that are similar to a hangover. So you might initially just think you've got a pretty bad hangover, but then if you get symptoms like blurred vision, dizziness and confusion, um, do seek medical help if you've drunk something, some kind of under-the-counter Yeah, under-the-counter gin. Yeah, because that and could be methanol poisoning. And indeed, other alcohols. Or other alcohols. Let's not just blame gin for everything, people. No, let's not. We're not Hogarth. No. Ready to spin the wheel, Matthew? Yep. Spinning. What we got? Inhalation. Inhalation, okay. Now, do you remember last World Gin Day, we did a little gin news section about the fact that Whitley Neal had installed gin orbs or gin mist dispensers in bars around London? We really wanted to try that, but we were we were in Birmingham, weren't we? In yes. Forty St Paul's, hanging out with the lovely uh, Aman. Aman, yeah, yeah, which has since been voted best gin bar in the world. Well done, by Aman. the way, um, any gin lovers, you must go to this bar. Hundred percent, it's beautiful. In Birmingham, Forty St Paul's, but anyway. I digress. So these mechanical orbs used ultrasonic vaporization to create a steam that or mist that could be sucked up through a straw, a gin mist. That sounds cool. It sounded really cool. But this was, of course, all done with great care and dispensed in a controlled manner, making it perfectly safe. Mm-hmm. But what would happen if you tried this at home? I wouldn't mind trying that at all. Well, the answer is just don't. Mm. No, it's not very safe. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, if you're cooking something that's got alcohol in it and you happen to inhale a bit of the vapour, you might find you get a bit of a buzz. But there's a recent trend of smoking alcohol, which has come with warnings from public health officials in America. So people are heating up alcohol or pouring it over dry ice to cause a rapid and intense high through inhalation. God, amazing. I know. Humans will either try to eat something or or have sex with it. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) Can't just drink it like it's meant to. No, I know. Um, Now, what do you think the reason is for it causing this quick and very intense high? It goes straight in the bloodstream, doesn't it? It does. Same with uh, like the drugs. You know, that's why you would that's why you would snort cocaine. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So bypasses the much slower digestion process. So, as a result, very small amounts of inhaled alcohol may make a person much more drunk than drinking would, Mm -hmm. and much more drunk than they than they think. So, and and very rapidly as well. There was that horrible uh, trend for a while, the uh, vodka tampons, wasn't it? Oh, God, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, that was a horrible trend, wasn't it? (laughs) Jesus. Come on, people. Humans, come on, let's get together, shall we? Come on, let's let's cure cancer. Let's not think about about how to get an intense buzz quickly. I know, I mean, and gin gin just tastes so good as well. Yeah, no, I... I think one of the motivations behind this trend is the myth that by inhaling it, you're not actually taking in any calories. God. But it's not true because you're still taking in the alcohol. Yeah. Another important thing to note is that the reason we get nauseous if we've drunk too much is it's our body defending ourselves yeah. against poisoning. And if you inhale it, your body just can't respond in the same way. So if you want to do it, just wait for the next Whitley Neal gin orbs yeah. to come to town. <laughs> sounds, like they might, sounds like they're going to float in like on clouds. Yeah. That- <laughs> that was Jurassic Park. It was, uh, Yeah. Right, spin the wheel. Spin, spin. Oh. Oh. Wood. Wood, okay. We were just talking about methanol. Yes. Which brings us nicely onto the subject of wood. <laughs> does it? Yes, it does. Mm. So wood alcohol is not, wood repeat, alcohol. not fit for human consumption. Well, we've all drunk alcohol in the woods. What's the problem there? <laughs> I'm talking about drinking it in the woods. Oh, I'm talking about extracting it from the woods. Really? Yeah. There's alcohol in the wood? Yes. Um, so industrial alcohol, so things like paint stripper, that oh, kind of thing, right, uh, is wood alcohol. Mm. And that contains very, very, very high levels of methyl alcohol. Now, I hope you've got a strong stomach for this no. <laughs> section. Because during the gin craze in the 18th century, people would just make gin from pretty much anything that they could find. So if it was starchy, mm-hmm. they'd just give it a go. <laughs> that sounds like, like what they do in prisoners. Like, yes. I mean, where you're getting potato, vodka, potato alcohol and yeah, stuff like I that. Yeah, I think prison hooch is yeah. sometimes made from bread or mm-hmm. like cream crackers and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Or the blood of thine enemies. Or the blood of thine enemies. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we'll try making some like Ritz cracker gin at home. Yeah. Hooch. Yeah. And the blood of thine enemies. And the blood of mine and thine enemies. Yeah, I'll go out and beat some people up. All right. Uh, just sign I won't be doing that. <laughs> or will I? Enemies. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So if they didn't have any grain, they'd just find something that maybe looked a bit like grain. <laughs> you can't just do that. Yeah, I know. You can't, you can't, oh, I'll have a sausage. Oh, there's no sausages. Oh, this stick looks a bit like a sausage. <laughs> Doesn't work like that. I know, right? <laughs> so one of the things that they would use was sawdust. Oh. And I'm talking the sweepings from the floors of taverns, butcher shops oh, and the oh. likes. So imagine what was swilling around in that, that bootleg gin. Well, that would be blood. Like yes, there would. Blood, blood of thine. Yeah. <laughs> blood of thine animals. <laughs> so during Prohibition, and I won't go into this too much as we cover this in much more depth in part two of the Gin and Crime um, episode last season, but bootleggers used to steal industrial wood alcohol from warehouses in order to make their bathtub gin. Now, as I've said, wood alcohol contains high levels of methanol, methyl alcohol, which caused a number of deaths and serious illnesses. So don't distill gin from wood, guys. Yeah, we know you're doing it. <laughs> right, should we move on? Spin. Oh, come on, put, put some welly into it, Reed. That's it. Ta-da! What we got? Hangovers! Hangovers, okay. Hangover-free alcohol is what we're going to talk about. So, uh, hangover-free alcohol is being tested by controversial British neuropsychopharmacologist David Nutt. Hangover-free alcohol. Yeah. It's That's going to cause all kinds of bother. Mm. If there's consequence-free alcohol. I know. Say that, like, you're probably waiting up going, oh... I know exactly what I said last night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's no consequences. Yeah. You can't get yourself out of any dodgy situations. Uh oh. Uh, so, Nutt is the former chairman of the Advisory Council on the Misuse of Drugs, who was sacked in 2009 for, among other things, a comment that ecstasy is safer than riding a horse. Well, I mean, statistically, I think he's talking about that, and it's probably true. Okay, yeah, but as the uh, the chairman of yeah, the advisory probably council... probably keep that to yourself. Yeah. If you, you don't want to encourage that sort of stuff. No. Now, he's developed a number of hangover-free synthetic alcohol He sounds compounds. like a party base. I know, time, right? We talked quite a bit about the factors that contribute to hangovers in the episode entitled Gin, Medicine or Poison. Mm -hmm. And we talked about the fact that things like the dehydrating effects of alcohol, the presence of congeners, and the congeners which appear in higher concentration in darker spirits, yeah. uh, contribute to... Who drinks them? I know. Idiots. So that, there <laughs> we concluded that gin is uh, one of the better mm -hmm. drinks for hangovers because um, it doesn't contain as many congeners. Just crippling anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but nuts new alcohol compounds, one of which is a so-called gin, and I say that in inverted commas because it's obviously not a real yeah. gin, mimic the effect, the nice effects of alcohol and apparently none of the negative ones by tricking the brain. So you won't tell your family what you really think of them. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. It's clever. Now he won't say what the secret ingredient is. Uh, but he's going to have to. It's not honesty. <laughs> no. Um, but he is going to have to reveal it at some point if he ever wants approval from the Department of Health. But it looks like we'll be waiting a long time to find out because it's not expected to become available until about 2050. No! So, hangovers until then, guys. Oh, so I'll be 60 when I get to try it. Yeah. 70. <laughs> if you haven't died of a hangover yeah. between now and then. Thanks, nut. <laughs> oh, but could he keep it a secret, though? Because, you know, Coca-Cola's, like, recipe's still secret. And KFC, like, their recipe's secret. 
Good point. Yeah, because no one, no one makes Coca-Cola taste like Coca-Cola. Surely the FDA know what's in Coca-Cola. Well, they've got it, but, but apparently there's only two people that know the recipe of Coca-Cola and it's in... Well, uh, the chief of the FDA I and, think it and might, Mr. Coca-Cola. Yeah, hi, Billy Coke. <laughs> yeah. it, might just, it might just be all bravado just to make it sound a little bit it more cool. Because uh, the secret sauce and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well. Okay. I'll give it a big old spin this time. One last spin. One, two, three. <laughs> yeah, it's stuck. And that nearly that was it. <laughs> <laughs> Just the Poor one. Poor show. Well, what we got? Fire. Fire. Okay. Fire. So this is our last topic. Cool. And I'm going to talk about specifically spontaneous human combustion. Yes. You believe in this? No. No. Mm. So, just to recap, during the gin craze, one of the purported undesirable side effects of overconsumption of gin was spontaneous human combustion, literally bursting into flames all of a sudden with no <laughs> provocation. Wasn't this like, wasn't one of the other one, a devil will cause you mis- help you cause mischief? Yeah, that exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. God. Yeah. So... Take, for example, the curious case of Mary Clunes. After the death of her husband in 1771, Mary turned to the drink. On March the 2nd, 1773, at 5.30am, smoke was seen issuing through her window. Uh-oh. Neighbours broke down her door and found her, found her lying between the bed and the fireplace. Now, this is a bit gross. The skin, muscles and viscera were destroyed, wrote a witness, and the bones of the cranium, breast, spine and upper extremities were calcined and covered with a whitish efflorescence. Only one leg and a thigh remained intact. Mm. Poor Mary. Poor Mary. So between 1725 and 1847, 50 similar instances were recorded. And the victims were almost all drinkers and often had a higher than average uh, proportion of body fat, incidentally. Now, so the belief was formed that alcohol could convert magically into a highly flammable gas inside our bodies and the best way to avoid going up in flames was to avoid drinking strong spirits, such as gin. Christ, I'd have to avoid beans and garlic. Yeah, you would. Imagine. As you're probably teetering on the edge of a combustion all the time. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> One misplaced cigar near me bottom. <laughs> I could take out an entire row. Note to self, don't place cigar <laughs> next to Matthew's arse. <laughs> Please. <laughs> that goes for everybody, by the way. That's, uh... <laughs> but how true is this claim? What do you think? I think it's nonsense. I think it's just they've just uh, it's all scaremongering. Scaremongering. Yeah. yeah. The love of mongering of a scare. Oh, and the, during the gin craze, mm-hmm. there were scaremongers scare, abound. Scares being mongered left, right, and centre. <laughs> there were. There were. So okay, but in in 1984, science investigator Joe Nicol and forensic analyst John F. Fisher looked at cases in the 18th, 19th, and 20th centuries to investigate the veracity of claims of spontaneous combustion. Their studies showed that the burnt bodies were in close proximity to plausible sources of ignition, such as candles. Yeah, between lamps, the fireplace was my clue. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, what they also pointed out was that these details had often been omitted from accounts in order to, as they put it, deepen the aura of mystery surrounding an apparently spontaneous death. Mm. Now, they did find a correlation between the deaths and the victims' intoxication levels. That was fair, but it's there was just clumsiness in it. Well, that's, you, you raise a good point because there was also a correlation with other forms of incapacitation in general which could have rendered them 
yeah, to be either careless or unable to escape a fire. Mm. Um, the victim's clothing, blankets, chair stuffing and the like would have helped to exacerbate the fire yeah, and... There wasn't a lot of uh, flame retardant material No, exactly, then, yeah. exactly. The EU regulations weren't yeah. as tight back then. <laughs> um, we can wave goodbye to those. Yeah. Um, and as Welcome in, to another era of spontaneous <laughs> combustion. <laughs> yeah. um, someone's riding a Harley Davidson outside... And we mentioned earlier the higher proportion of body fat. Now, that would have further fueled the flames. Mm. So, the only unanswered question here was, why did nearby objects often remain undamaged and just the victim be burned to a cinder? And the researchers concluded that this is due to fire tending to burn upward. So... I guess if the person set on fire, they would, rather than perhaps rolling around to stop the flames, they may stand up. Yeah. And stop, drop, and roll wasn't a thing then. There wasn't <laughs> a thing then. So they would have... Stoppeth, droppeth, and, and rolleth. <laughs> yeah. And Nicol and Fisher concluded that we must avoid single simplistic explanations for all unusual burning deaths, but rather investigate each one on an individual basis. I will. My detective agency for the yeah. next spontaneous combustion, I will look at it on an individual basis. basis. Yeah. So there we go. Weird science. Weird science indeed. Some crazy stuff going yeah. on there. Hmm. I wonder if you can make lightning gin. Let's make that next. All right. Okay. Now, in the spirit of science... We challenged each other, didn't we? Yes, we did, in a ready-study-cook type fashion. Yes. Where we gave each other interesting ingredients to create our own healthy... Tincture. <laughs> tincture, yes. Yes. A beneficial tincture. Yes, yeah, so, this, so this segment, we're calling this segment Mother's Ruins Marvellous Medicine. Mother's Ruins Marvellous Medicine. Mm-hmm. Now, I gave Matthew <laughs> some lavender. Lavender. Check. Some cherry essence. Now, I, be- I I understand this goes against the whole idea of making gin infusions, etc. But, you know, I thought I'd be an asshole and give you some essences. Well, we didn't have any cherries. No. <laughs> so I've given you some cherry essence, some barberries, mm. which I thought were interesting. Very so- sour, I believe. Mm-hmm. Some hundreds and thousands, <laughs> just to be even more cruel, and some Roku gin. Yeah. Well, I give you, because I'm not... A bastard. I give you some delicious sounding things, although it would depend how you how, how you dealt with them. I give you a Persian black lime. Yes. It was a nice dried lime. Little looks like a little black black ball, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Lemongrass, Earl Grey tea, because uh, the the only uh, tea based gin we've well not based but you know flavored gin we've had is uh, Mason's, which is delightful. Yes. So I thought, let's see if we can do something with ourselves. Yes. Threw in a curveball with smoked paprika. Yes, you did. Uh, rose petals, and then I give you aviation gin. You did, indeed. Yes. So we went away into the Mother's Room kitchen, and we researched all the health benefits mm-hmm. of these products to determine what the health benefits of our tincture would be, yep. and in what concentration and proportions to use them. Now, the health benefits of hundreds and thousands, not sure what those might be. Now, I don't know if anyone outside of the UK calls hundreds and thousands, hundreds and thousands, but what they are is they're the the little um, tiny sugar sprinkles. The little, yeah, the little colourful balls. Multicoloured balls that you put on ice cream yeah. and uh, and chocolate custard when I yeah. was a kid. 
sprinkles. Oh, chocolate yeah. custard. Do you remember chocolate custard? I do. It's good stuff. Do you remember though. the powder? The custard powder? Yeah. It smelled so good, but then yeah. you ate a spoonful and it was just... Yeah. Uh, like, it was like a cinnamon challenge or something. <laughs> it just turned into a kind of cement in yeah, your mouth. Yeah. Anyway, we digress. So join us now in the Mother's Ruined Kitchen as we put together our marvellous medicines. Mm-hmm. Right, try grating this line. Right. Creating a line. Ooh, it looks so creepy. What are you doing? Uh, Persian black limes. It smells a little bit like urinal cake lime. <laughs> Fresh. Does, doesn't it? Yeah. it? Smells like toilet freshener. Yeah. Like. But you know what? That's a good smell. It's a good smell. Right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna dig in with some, a little bit of lavender there. Some lavender used in a lot of gins, isn't it? Yep. I'm gonna smush this down to next to nothing with a pestle and mortar. That's a science term for <laughs> squashy ball and squashy stick. <laughs> gonna try smushing some barberries. Might be hard to smush these actually. They're like raisins. Don't know if anyone knows barberries. So Persian black limes are used in um, Persian cuisine to add sour, very sour flavours, but they're also used in a tea as a type of herbal tea to help with indigestion, diarrhoea and nausea. So my medicine is going to be a, maybe for my medicine I'm going to have a stomach settler. I have made a fine paste from barberries. I think I might boil some. Mm. For science. I love doing this. This is what I used to do when I was a kid. I used to get all the different types of flavours of diluted juice. Yeah. And I used to bung them all in a thing and try them. And then I'd narrow down what was nice and what wasn't. Yeah. I used to call it moon juice. Moon juice. Moon juice. And I used to put cola in with, uh, I used to put cola in with orange juice. And my mum used to say I was mad, but now... The sound is, is an exclusive yes, drink. Yes, we bought a mixer, didn't we, that was cola and orange juice. Yes. It sounded disgusting. It was Ab- actually delicious. Absolutely beautiful, yeah. yeah. Really nice. I'm just going to rinse this out. It looks horrible. Okay, so lemongrass doesn't grate. <laughs> okay. God, it smells good. Lemongrass. Mm. Oh, God bless oh, you. Oh, God, I should have tried to grate that shit. Bye. Got up your schnez. There's my Persian lime infusion, which looks absolutely disgusting um, and smells kind of feisty. Here's my tea going in. And I'm going to pour some hot water over lemongrass. Don't know why. Don't know if that's a good idea, but we're doing it anyway. You got it? Got it. What are you doing there, Matthew? Talk I am pouring it. hot water into my lavender and barberry. Boil my pretties. Um, this is the sound of science. Oh, that smells really nice. <laughs> 
So tell me about the health benefits of lavender then. So my lavender drink will get you to sleep. Yeah. It will apparently help the intestines as well. Right. So you'll go to sleep with a good old tummy. Yeah. I mean, looking at it, it's not going to help anyone's stomach, though, is it? No, that looks absolutely disgusting. It certainly does. I think what I'm going to do is pour a ton of sugar syrup. Yes, I think I will need some. Into each of my little infusions here. I am going to filter mine now. Yes. We are remarkably prepared these days. I know we are, aren't we? We've got everything we need. Yeah, filter, please. One filter. It's almost like we're in a lab and not just a tiny little kitchen. Yeah. See, you can do this anywhere. That's the beauty of these fun games. But I would highly recommend looking into what you're doing before you do it because you could end up killing yourself with Yeah, poison. you don't want to use, like, just any old thing. Yeah, like, make sure it's all edible stuff. Ooh. Right, so the Persian black lines are on the drip. Let's get the next one filtering through, which is the... Lemongrass? Lemongrass smells a bit weak, to be honest. I might leave that in for a bit longer. I'll get the Earl Grey tea oh, God, going. God, that lemongrass smells beautiful, doesn't it? Yeah. Mmm. Oh, good. The Earl Grey smells nice. <laughs> I'm going to just mash this lemongrass up a bit. Nothing seems to be happening with this. Taste your experiment. Oh, hello. Yeah, it, it, of course it's strong. Mmm. Let's have a little taste. I am sampling the lemongrass infusion. Oh, good God, that's mm. delicious. Yeah, I think my cocktail is going to be my medicine. My alchemical solution is going to be rad. It is going to be rad. Rad solutions, that's what we'll call it. Let's try this black lime stuff. Okay. Oh! Delicious, yeah? <laughs> Have I misread that? Oh, good Lord. Do I have to taste it too? That is pungent. Pungent is the best word I can use to describe that. That's really nice. Yeah, I like yeah. it. Aye, it's quite sweet. I put a lot of sugar in it. Ah, that'd be it. Aye. Do you want to taste my Barbary solution? Do you want to try my tea? I bet it tastes like tea. It just tastes like sweet tea. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I do want to I've try I've put no sugar in it, mind. How edible are these Barberries? Oh, so eds. So edible. Oh! Oh, oh you... sweet Jesus, that's disgusting. What do you know? What are you on about? That's lovely. Do you like it? Oh, it's, it's sour. That is so sour. Yeah, it's very sour. Oh, I'm going to need a bit of sweetness in there. You certainly are. My tongue feels funny. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Just to clarify, we don't know what we're doing here. We've got no experience creating infusion syrups or anything like that. Exactly. So... We're just, we're just mucking about, really. Pouring hot water onto something does doth not a syrup make. Yeah. <laughs> but it's all just good fun, isn't it? Yeah, I would highly recommend this because I, like I feel like a kid with like a... A, a being, little science yeah, set. Being let loose with a chemistry yeah. set. This is my Barbary one. Have a smell of that. That smells disgusting, Matthew. That smells absolutely disgusting. What? Doesn't it smell as if... Uh... It's just super sour. It's absolutely super sour. There's something like musty about it. I'm going to put a bit of lime juice in. Let's see if that. Holy balls. Now this tastes like. You know those sweets that kids get that are so sour that you can't even taste them? Yeah. I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> I hate it, it needs sweetening. That's what it needs. 
I desperately need some. Bit of sugar. A bit of sugar syrup. Let's have a little stir. It's, a, it's not a precise science. No. It's, I'll give you that. Is it even a science? Hey. Yeah, with the sugar there. No. Well done, you're right, it is the best. Let's have a taste of this one. Now that is a, a bloody treat. Is it? Yeah. yeah. Right, we are back from the Mother's Ruined Kitchen and we have our final tinctures here that we've placed in tiny little bottles and labelled. I've labelled mine Donnelly's Mystery Tincture. And mine's Dr. Reed's Mood Reviver. <laughs> okay, Matthew, Dr. Reed, sorry. Tell us what is in your Mood Reviver, what made the final cut and what are the health benefits of this tincture? Well, mine is made mainly from cacao nibs, mm. which is very, very healthy. Hmm. Um, it's also the cherry essence. If it was real cherries that would manage to squish up, we would have had a lot of benefits from them. And also... I take it vitamin C would be... Well, do you know what? There's, yes, obviously, I mean, all the, all the usual fruit, uh, but the specifics to cherries, it helps lower your blood sugar if you've got diabetes. Ah. There's one. Uh, helps with arthritis, cherries, apparently. Lowers the rate of heart disease, your chance of heart disease. Uh, helps your memory. Mm-hmm. So it must be brain food. Yeah. And also uh, gives you a better night's sleep. Oh, really? Yes. Can I, before you move on to the next ingredient, can I tell you an interesting fact that I learned about cherries the other day? Yes. You know how cherries are really expensive? Yes. I found out why. It's because after it rains, the cherries um, all, uh, the, the wetness on the cherries makes them like split and essentially wither. And so they have to send aeroplanes over the cherry orchards to blow air onto the cherries to dry them off. And that's why they're so expensive. Crazy, isn't it? Yep. Anyway, science fact. Uh, and I squished up barberries, because we've never used barberries before. And they are deeply sour. Yes. But the cherry was very sweet, and I put a lot of sugar syrup in. Mm-hmm. Sugar syrup, uh, that beneficial for tastiest, niceest. Yes. Makes the barberries not make your face turn inside out from sour. Yes, actually I should add at this point that yes, we were both allowed to use sugar syrup as an additional ingredient. As a what? An additional ingredient. <laughs> additional ingredient. Okay. Well, I also use barberries. I squished them up because I wanted to use a sour. So that's why um, I'm glad we had a sour gin. Mm. Uh, so it went with that. But the sweetness, I, I heavily balanced the sweetness with uh, <laughs> sugar syrup. Heavily. <laughs> uh, because barberries would literally turn your face inside out. Right. But it does help with digestion and liver problems. Oh. And it creates something called barberine. Hmm. Which helps with uh, fight bacterias. And bacteria. Bacterias. Yeah, it helps fight back tyres. <laughs> so if front tyres, you're fine. <laughs> but back tyres, we know how evil they are. Yeah. So it helps fight bacteria. Okay. And uh, helps with viruses. So that's nice, isn't it? And Brilliant. cacao nibs. Oh, don't even talk to us about cacao nibs yeah. with their antitoxidants. So it's good for the skin, the magnesium, which re- regulates blood sh- blood pressure. Uh, the potassium, more than bananas. Wow. Uh, and heavy in iron. And it's uh, because it's a chocolate... Uh, it releases endorphins, so it's a mood enhancer. And that's why it's called Dr. Reed's Mood Enhancer. Dr. Reed's Mood Enhancer. Let's give it a try. Right, here we go then. Favourite tree tonic. Tiny little can of. Add a little. There we go. Now, tincture time. 
There we go. Now, scent-wise, how are we doing in there? Well, the Roku's nice. We've got a Roku in there. Oof. That's beautiful. But the cherries come through. Let's have a go. It's very cloudy and brown. Yeah, it's cloudy and brown. I'll give you that. <laughs> it looks like it's rusted. Oxidised. Oxidised. Some, might, might, some might say it hasn't oxidised. So. Do you know what? That is delicious. Is it? I think that is absolutely lovely. Have you said a little? Oh, it, I can smell the sourness in that. Yeah. It is sour. Well, Dr. Reed. Yes, has your mood enhanced My mood is enhanced tenfold. Well, don't like to brag, but that's what it's called. It is definite medicine now. I'm going to get on to Big Pharma. Hey, that's actually delicious. It is nice. Next time we'll use real cherries. Yes, see what happens with them. If, yeah. we're, if we can afford them, eh? Indeed. Go around playing to mm. dry your cherry mm. off. I can't stop drinking this, Dr. Reed. You you, uh, you enjoy that? Mm. Right, okay. Uh, I'm not actually a doctor. Please don't take any medical advice from me. <laughs> I, do you know what? I can really taste the chocolate in there as well. Yeah, chocolate's nice, isn't yeah. it? Cacao nibs are perfect to make your gins chocolatey, by the way. That's what we've discovered. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, and we didn't mention the curveball that I throw through you. The hundreds and thousands. Now, you've cheated a little bit in that I see... Garnish. You, yeah, you've used them as a garnish. He's done very well. He's dipped a... Um, dipped a lovely cherry. A dipped a cherry in some honey and yep. uh, smeared the hundreds and thousands all over the cherry. Can we just say that that cherry is the only one we had? That was... We had one cherry. <laughs> we had one cherry. Yeah. Um, okay. Well done. Thank you. Would you like to see, uh, would you like to try Donnelly's mystery tincture? Nothing, nothing would please me more. <laughs> okay, so I took the, um, I used all my ingredients. All of them? Yeah, although I did just use the rose petals as a garnish. Yes. Uh, Possibly I, the only one that I gave it that's actually <laughs> used in normal gins. Yeah, um, the rose petals are apparently um, full of antioxidants and anti-inflammatory. All right. Also, the smoked paprika, which I used in a fairly small amount. Mm -hmm. I only put about a half a teaspoonful of paprika in. And um, that's loaded with vitamins and minerals, very healthy for the body and improves eyesight. Mm -hmm. The lemongrass relieves anxiety, lowers cholesterol, prevent, prevents infection, boosts oral health, relieves pain, boosts red blood cell levels and re relieves bloating. If anything, these... these I think gin's just really good for you, isn't it's it? Full of full of good stuff. It's all good. The tea um, has caffeine to pep you up, and of course antioxidants. And the health benefits of lime are numerous, including weight loss, improved digestion, um, reduced respiratory disorders. It goes on and on. So yeah, this is this is certainly a uh, a healthy tincture. Question is, is it nice? Or is it disgusting? What gin have you used there? Uh, you gave me the... Aviation, aviation that was right, yes. Which I think is quite good for this, because this tincture tastes quite medicinal, as does aviation gin. Let's have a smell. Trying it neat there. Oh, it's sharp on the nose. The paprika's coming through strong. But it's super sweet. Yeah, I use quite a lot of sugar. Yeah. Oh, getting the tea there. Yeah, the tea's come through. Look. Oh, also... Yes? I also, I was a bit naughty, I did something naughty. What did you do? I added a bit of chilli as well. Because I thought that the paprika... Might need another backup plant. needed another plant. spice. Mm, I get you, yeah. I get you, I see what you've done there. Uh, and chilli is very good as a um, for your metabolism. Mm. Definitely right. got a medicinal taste to it, even with the uh, fever tree tonic in there. Yeah, there's a... It smells like 
I know it sounds weird, but it smells like frozen food. Like it smells like the the cold air that comes out of the freezer. <laughs> that might sound weird, but I know what I mean. Mm. With a swill, you get the smoked paprika. Mm. It's not the most pleasant. Healthy stuff's not supposed to taste good. <laughs> I think that tastes quite good. Thank you very much. You're, you're, you're weird. Yeah. You've got odd tastes. So we're challenging you now to make your own tincture. Uh, it's Be careful. <laughs> yeah, please, please. Just use edible stuff. <laughs> only use edible stuff. Um, but get one of your friends to pick you out four or five random ingredients. Yeah. And use them to create your own tincture. Pick you, um, and pick even ones that sound disgusting might work. I mean, we tried one in Leeds, remember? We tried grass. We did. Foul. Yeah. Don't use grass. Yeah. It's probably... Cat's piss on it, that. Yeah. yeah. So just use something like you know, use, use go down to go down to Tesco's, pick out pick out some veg, yeah. Pick out some fruits that you might not use in the drink. Uh, pick out some spices, some some herbs, and yeah. just have a good laugh with it because we did actually have fun. Making it was it so as well. much fun. It was fun, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think we can all agree that I won. All right. Easily. You can have that one. Yes, easily though. Yeah. Like, without a challenge. Really, no, not I mean. not easily. Without a challenge, but well. yeah, we'll let you decide that. Anyway, that was Mother's Ruined Marvellous Medicine. Medicine. Go make your own. That sounds threatening. (laughs) (laughs) Go make your own. Gin News headlines today. 100% spoof. Actor Ryan Reynolds pranks public with Amazon Gin Review. Good things come in small measures. New Heyman's Gin aims to promote temperance. The Pink Lady returns. Gin drinking commuter goes viral again. 100% spoof. Actor Ryan Reynolds pranks public with an Amazon Gin review. What's Ryan been up to these days? The old prankster. The little tinker. Well, he's punked us good and proper once again by writing a hilarious review of his own gin. Writing under the nom de plume, Champ Nightingale. <laughs> the man's an imbecile. <laughs> He gave Aviation four stars on Amazon writing. I've just tried Aviation Gin for the first time. Naturally, I don't gravitate towards celebrity brands, but I'd read the gin was one of the highest rated ever. I loved it and hated it. What? Let me explain. As soon as I tried the gin, I knew right away it was amazing. It was the smoothest gin I'd ever tried, and it went down really easily. When I woke up the next day, I mentioned to my wife, Linda, that last night must have been a real blog because I slept in my clothes. I also noticed it was really hard to look out the window at the Seattle skyline. Partly because of the bright sun, I've always been sensitive to light, but also because I don't live in Seattle. <laughs> I live in Coral Gables, Florida. Also, it's important to note, until that morning, I'd never met anyone named Linda. That's an excellent review. Oh, I love that man. He's a very funny guy. <laughs> Incidentally, Ryan, if you would wish to come on... If you want to come on the podcast. Yeah, if you want to come on the podcast, yes, and give us an interview, that would be great. Thanks very much. Aviation Gym, we'll get a mention. We just used it recently, so... Yeah, we like it, we like it. Yes, we think you're good. He gave the giveaway, however, when he says, I love this review of Aviation Gin someone sent me after I wrote it. (laughs) (laughs) One of the responses to the tweet came from his own mother, Tammy, who said, ah, yes, I thought I heard my son's voice in that narrative. (laughs) He responded with, mom, you say that every episode of CS had my Must be a laugh there. I know. Bloody laugh hanging out with Ryan. (laughs) I wouldn't mind hanging out with Ryan, incidentally, if you want to go on the thing. Fancy time. Real fancy time. Right. um, Next up. Good things come in small measures. New Heyman's Gin aims to promote temperance. What kind of anti-advertising is that? <laughs> Let's have a look. Heyman's of London has launched Small Gin. Oh, oh a tiny. Gin for, borrow- gin for borrowers. 
designed to help drinkers pace themselves with smaller measures. It's full strength, but has stronger botanical flavours that enable the drinker to get the full force of the taste. Five millilitres of gin, reducing alcohol consumption by 80%. 80% because the standard measure is like 25 mil, isn't it? Yeah. So just basically giving them less. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds... Uh, sounds legit. Really, yeah, like, oh yeah, we'll charge you this here, right? But we'll give you less. So I mean, like, we're doing you a favour, if anything. <laughs> The distiller, Sam Pembridge, said uh, we based the flavour profile for small gin on a classic London dry. Good choice. Ah, because they do Old Tom as well, don't yep. they, Heyman's? Yeah. And getting all that wonderful botanical character into such a small serving size was an incredible challenge. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> it's a classic interview technique. <laughs> oh, I like a challenge. You're <laughs> yeah. just giving us less gin, man. We are working at the outer limits of what can be achieved, but the flavour... <laughs> it's a bit grand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're not going to the space, mate. <laughs> What could be achieved? The, the final f- frontier. <laughs> we are almost breaking the meaning of life. All right, with five centiliters of gin. Yeah, milliliters. We are working at the outer limits of what can be achieved. He said, but the flavour profile is spot on. In the blind tastings completed at our distillery, even the most experienced of gin drinkers were unable to tell the difference between a small gin and tonic and a London dry gin and tonic. Mm. There you go. It will hit the shelves in August. Priced at twenty-six pound per twenty centiliter bottle. Blimey. Indeed. So it's not quite full price. No. I guess what you can get a bottle of the Sipsmiths for... About that. About, uh, yeah, about that. Just under 30 quid. Yeah. So it is actually, it is full price. Yeah. <laughs> a standard 70 centilitre bottle of gin will get you 28 to 25 millilitre measures, while Heyman's 20 centilitre bottle will get you 45 millilitre measures. More bang for your buck then. Mm. I'll have to wait until next month. That's oh, when right. it comes out. Okay. Meanwhile, the uh, Portobello Road distillery set release a lower alcohol gin. You've been having fake beers recently. I've been you? having fake beers because I get the headaches. You get the headaches, so yeah. you've been having fake beers and you've been enjoying them. I've also you? tried the Gordon's low uh, very one. low alcohol one, which I think is like 1%. Yeah, it was quite nice, wasn't it? It was quite yeah, nice. It was yeah. nice, yeah. Because, I mean, we're, but we're like, we we drink gin because we enjoy the flavour. Some people just drink to drink. Yeah, them. yeah, exactly. Uh, yep, so Portobello Road's going to release a lower alcohol gin, that's good. Uh, bottled at 4.2 ABV. Wow, that's quite bad. It is low, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Claims to be the same flavour and mouthfeel as full strength gins. So Interesting. Mm-hmm. I think the thing for me about these low alcohol and non-alcoholic gins is that they often cost quite a lot of money. Like, I've wanted to try that... Um, seed lip. Seed lip yes. for ages, but it costs like 30-odd quid a bottle. Yeah, it's basically just pop on it. And it's just pop. Yeah, it's just well put together pop. Yeah. There's no no way that I'm like... <laughs> no, but as as a chronic headache and migraine sufferer, which means I can often not drink, sadly, mm-hmm. um, you know, I do welcome these kind of... Uh, these these things that give people an opportunity who perhaps can't drink to still be able to enjoy the flavours of gin and yeah. be able to explore the different botanicals and that kind of thing. So I think in theory it's... Um, it's it's a really good thing. I think the only thing that makes it a bit prohibitive is the often the price. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's uh, it's yeah. out there like the price, isn't it? Although I think the Gordon's ones, you get four bottles, like ready mixed bottles, mm-hmm. um, for about four or five pounds. Yes, they're, they are, they are reasonable. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Right. What's the next story? The pink lady returns. Gin drinking commuter goes viral again. 
Last time we mentioned that fabulous lady drinking pink gin. Yes, on I the remember her with her yeah. um, with her flip flops and socks, and then like incredibly opulently dressed yes. in her pink gin. Yeah, in a, in a in a wine glass on the underground. Yeah. Well, she's been spotted again. Has she? Giving absolutely no care whatsoever to the uh, actual alcohol bam. <laughs> on Transport for London. Yeah, alcohol bam. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and she's looking just as fabulous in all black with diamond earrings, Jackie O sunglasses and a glass in hand again. Yes. Oh, bless I her. love her. She is amazing. She, 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 do you reckon she's actually might be a ghost? Maybe. Like an underground ghost. Maybe she's, yeah, the, the spirit of Mother Jin returned. Yes, hi. She's Lady Jennifer. Yeah. So uh, anyway, a commuter instantly recognised the viral sensation and snapped a picture of her, which this time revealed where she keeps her stash of gin in an enormous bag for life. <laughs> Classy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who knows what I, what else could be in there? I know. I'm, men that have wronged us. Yeah, exactly. That's what's in there. <laughs> so. Yes. That's this week's gin news. Gin news. End of episode three, season three. Yeah. Wonderful episode. And yep, uh, let us know if you've made your own tinctures. Yes, please do. We'd love. Yes. We, I tell you what, we'll we'll try to recreate them ourselves if you send them. Yes, that's a good idea. And anything else you'd like to hear on the show, just uh, please get in touch. We're always available on all our social media. Uh, yeah. Hope you enjoy it. Enjoy it. <laughs> Hope you're enjoyed this. Oh, Matthew, get back to bed. Hope you enjoyed. No, I'm keeping it. I'm, I'm leaving that. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed this episode of our podcast. We yes. certainly enjoyed doing it. Hope you enjoyed listening. Yes. Um, you might have noticed that at the moment we are going out bi-weekly, which is because we've got a few things going on at the minute. We are moving the Mother's Ruin studio. Yes, we have. <laughs> which is taking a lot of our time uh, logistically, but... And money and patience and mm. soul. Yeah. So that's nice. Exactly. Um, so it might be that in the second half of the season we go back to weekly depending on circumstances, but at the moment I hope you can bear with us and um, yeah. we'll see you in two weeks' time. Yes, with all our new listeners, do go back and listen from the beginning. You know, like, uh, like binge watch watching on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, what would it be called? Gin binge. Gin binge on not Netflix, Podbean. That's all that's the word I was looking for. But something instead of Podbean if it was Netflix, but for the ears. Netbean. Netbean. Yes. Netpod. Podflix. Ears. Podflix. Listen. Podflix sounds painful. <laughs> anyway, end of episode. Goodbye. Goodbye. Mother's Room podcast was written and performed by Matthew Reed and Sarah Dunley. Theme tune written and performed by Holly Jazz Cotzier.